Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clear Motive Marketing. Full transparency, folks. I am one of the co-founders of Clear Motive Marketing. I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be involved with my current business partner, Chad Kroger, since 2010. And it has been a fantastic ride and just an amazing, amazing journey. But I'm coming here today not as a co-founder, but as a client. Over a year ago, I brought the idea of the podcast to the team, presented the challenges, presented the opportunity, presented why I was excited about it, and they worked with me to create a plan. We built a strategy, we built the brand, we built the website, and they helped me execute, and they helped me execute day in and day out as we are constantly going live with, with new, new episodes. They also were a huge help in building the audience, which can be the most challenging things, whether you're a company, a product or a service, or just a new idea that you need to get out there. So we've grown organically from over 200 downloads last December to over 2,000 this December, which is an all-time record for the show, something we're really proud of, and I couldn't have done it without the ClearMotive team backing me at every step of the way. They specialize in helping brands that operate in fast-paced, highly competitive industries, which, let's be honest, is, is everyone these days, to deliver more consistently and more effectively day in and day out, something that we all know can be an incredible challenge in marketing with the pace of the always-on mindset. With offices and teams in both Calgary and Toronto, they work to make clients better marketers. So if you need a new website, a new brand, or simply a new efficient way to produce and deliver and get your get your creative and market, and get connected with your customers, give us a call and let's have a good old-fashioned chat. Check out our work and our case studies at www.clearmotive.ca. A warm collisions YYC welcome to um, my co-conspirator, my longtime <laughs> friend, Mr. Kevin Crow. How are you, brother? I'm doing awesome, man. How are you? Uh, really good. I, I think I got to warn the audience. Kevin and I haven't talked for probably, I don't know, six weeks, which is like fairly long for us. So <laughs> just be warned. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it's, we're going to cover a breadth of topics. It's going to be high energy and uh, yeah. it's be, hopefully, and it's going to be informative. I, I think eavesdropping on our conversations is always a good time, but I'm a bit, I'm a bit biased. <laughs> oh, I'm so ready to get caught up here, man. There's so much to talk about. I mean, an incredible, incredible uh, time to be alive, right? All the stuff that's going on in the world, man, mind-boggling. Just wow. It, you know, that is a great. That's a great way to set the tone. And Kevin, you you never um, you never lack enthusiasm and positivity, <laughs> but it's always based on reality, and that's what we're going to get into today. And kind of some of the things that you're involved you're involved with. You have a unique perspective. Obviously, you're heavily involved in the Calgary community. You're executive vice president of, strat of strategy over at Longview Systems. So just the mm -hmm. clients you get to deal with. But what I'm really excited to talk to you about today is something I know is high on your passion list, which is a, a big list, mm -hmm. is uh, Alberta IoT and, and like the internet of things in Alberta. And mm -hmm. I know you're pretty passionate about where, you know, where that's going for us and, you know, why we should be the global leader in that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm super stoked. I'm, I'm part of the board, um, working on the center of excellence on the Alberta IOT initiative. And, you know, it kind of goes back, you know, tied to what you and I had passionate discussions about what, two, three years ago around this kind of angst around the Alberta economy and it needing to transform. Right. And was enough of that happening? And were we doing the right things? You know, we are a product of our environment. And I grew up uh, originally from Niagara Falls. My dad was an auto worker. I uh, grew up through the 80s when, you know, the Rust Belt phenomenon was happening. Plants were being shut down. The auto industry was, you know, basically uh, being torn apart uh, and, and saw the impact that had on my community and obviously my family. Uh, and there was a, a strong belief that that industry couldn't be um, taken away. And, uh and I think a lot of the, the people like my dad held on to that belief. And, and unfortunately, that was wrong. And, 
And if you kind of look at the transformation that's happening in the, in the global economy right now, uh, and obviously impact on Alberta, that, you know, this province has been so amazing to myself, and it's been such an, a, an incredible place to live, and it's given me such amazing opportunity, that I feel an obligation to participate and, and make sure that it's transforming. And, you know, I really strongly believe in, in the IoT bet uh, for Alberta, and, and I'll explain why I think that bet is so important for us. You know, if, if you think of all the things that are happening and, and, you know, if you look, I love an Asim Telab's concept of skin in the game, right? It, we, we're terrible at predicting the future. Uh, humans have totally been terrible at it. But where do you look to look? Maybe not so much to the talking heads that can, you know, make a prediction and next week if they're wrong, there's no consequences. But let's look to the people that are putting money into this and, and writing big checks and making big investments. And, you know, just to give one example of, of one of those people is Kathy Wood, who is doing the ARK in, uh, investments. And I think she's been in the news quite a bit lately, uh, really betting on innovation, uh, you know, brilliant investor, uh, different opinions on if she's right or wrong. But I think, you know, here's a person that's, you know, putting a lot of money where her mouth is. And if you look at her big bets, there's there's a couple. AI, right, which you've had lots of great guests on and there's been lots of great podcast episodes around the blockchain, right, which we know that's, you know, the Bitcoin and the cryptocurrencies and things that are going on. The third bet is robotics, and I would say robotics automation. Um, and then we have energy storage. She would say DNA sequencing is kind of the next bet. Um, now, if we look at those top three, and that's the area that, you know, I have knowledge and I, I work in technology, like you said, Longview. And if you look at those top three, those play into IoT. And so, you know, let's let's talk about a definition. What, it, what is IoT? Well, it's the Internet of Things. And what it really means is we've got all this kind of sensor smart technology that's out there. And all of that is now feeding data back and we can do things with data. Uh, we become more effective, more efficient. We can run our businesses, our organizations better. So let's give an example of why I think IoT is, is such a powerful bet and so important of a bet. You take a bunch of water up to a well, right? You dump that water into the container. That water gets to a certain level. It hits an IoT sensor. That sensor sends back information. Hey, the obligation's been met. The water's hit this level. Then with automation, we execute a smart contract, which is cryptocurrency. And that payment automatically happens because the obligations have been met, right? That's a great example of using IoT sensor data, getting back into the cryptocurrency smart contract world and the efficiency and automation through that system, right? So now we're looking at, you know, how we can do and make systems and processes way better and way more effective. There's a great stat somebody shared with me that like 30% of all systems right now probably have, or in all systems, there's probably about 30% waste in them right now, right? And that's not because people aren't working hard or they're not smart. It's just kind of the human nature of, of how systems are built. So if we can become more effective, more efficient, become smarter about this, uh, we obviously become more competitive. And if you kind of think of the main business cases for IoT right now, you'll see kind of mean time to failure, mean time to repair, right? So right now you maybe send people out every, you know, three months to check on, you know, the big turbines or something like that just to do uh, maintenance. But now we can start getting data back and we can understand when they actually should go, when those things actually fail or when they're not operating at their prime and we become more effective and efficient. So there's, there's big prizes with IOT and, uh, and Alberta with its engineers with kind of, I think our, 
kind of, you know, DNA of, of really, you know, what we've been doing in the energy space. And, you know, you've had great guests on around fintech and all those places that that mentality of building things. I think IoT is an incredible bet for for Alberta, for sure. Just thinking about the sense, like there's so many sensors that are out there. And I, yeah. I, what I love about so many of these, these things is like technology is finally catching up, allowing us to, mm-hmm. to like bring them all together and to unite Cause we've got a province that there's sensors everywhere from the red yeah. light that goes on to tell you that something has happened. If you're an operator at a plant and really what we're talking about is now technology is finally able to catch up and bring these all together. And I'm assuming like the 5g conversation plays into this significantly because you know, how do we gather all this to be able to do something with it? Like at first, you know, always, no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, AI is still starting with data and if yeah. these sensors were kind of I'm going to call them dumb sensors for lack of a better word because they're yeah. not hooked up to anything beyond a control panel that a physical human has to see we're really just transitioning now to being able to bring it all into one place and then be able to do something with it to, I, I love what you said about I man if we're leaving 30% on the table as a competitive mm-hmm. advantage like in a lot of industries well you're well at a you're well at a business with a 30% mm-hmm. slippage like you're done mm-hmm. yeah and, and 5g is a huge factor here right 5g basically is going to allow you to bring a lot more data back home right yeah. that if you think of you know people kind of think oh it's just faster network but the problem when you bring data back is you, you need to make sure that it's in order, right? Because if it comes out of order, all of a sudden your data gets messed up. So the sustainability or the, the reliability of 5G and that speed of 5G allows the Internet of Things really to expand. And you, you really, when you start looking at what 5G is going to bring, it's going to bring a lot more, you know, virtual and augmented reality uh, type scenarios. Okay. Now, there's always going to be something computed at the edge, right? So if you think of autonomous vehicles, you know, you don't want that. The fact that I need to break sent up to the cloud, computed, and sent back to the car, right? Like the car is going to compute that, uh, and that data is going to be crunched there. But eventually that data has got to come back, back up to the cloud so that we can correlate and, and do powerful things with the overall data set. And 5G, et cetera, though, that networking is so important to allow this kind of data transformation and insight to happen. And like I said, I really am bullish that, you know, a- AR, augmented reality, virtual reality, that uh, 5G is really going to propel that forward. So when you think about Alberta and you think about so much of these, you know, the, the tur- you use the turbine example or the big compressor yeah. or, you know, the big engine or something you've got that's way out in rural Alberta. Or where are we in terms of the cycle of evolution for being able to get access and to like back to like you, you, if your network isn't there, you can't really, IOT doesn't exist. Correct. Yeah. So I guess we're chicken, egg, card, horse. That's what I'm kind of thinking about. It's like, great. We've got all these powerful data. We're able to mine from this piece of equipment, but are, are we there yet? Or are we well on the path of being able to pull that, you know, the, the up to the cloud analogy for simple, like, is that there? Are we, are like, what's holding us back? I guess maybe is the question. Yeah, Sorry. You know, I had I, to work through that question out loud. Sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. You know, I think one of the things that is holding us back is, it's not so much that, um, but this concept of, you know, you have operational technologies and you have IT, right? So I, I come from a company, we work in IT, we support IT, which is, you know, Microsoft Cloud and, you know, your desktop and, and all that kind of stuff. But if you look at people working on operational technologies and, you know, the common example in our province would probably be SCADA, right? Those two worlds have not really worked together, right? Like OT people... A lot of times we'll say, you know, keep your IT network away or your environment away. You know, this has a high level of reliability. We got to make sure that we're not messing with it, right? You think about IT, kind of how constant that change is happening, uh, how much um, sometimes unreliability there's been in technology released. So we've got to get those worlds together. And if you kind of look at, you know, when you're working on in the IoT world, 
a lot of that time is spent with those two parties coming together. You know, we're, we're at Longview, we're doing some IoT projects right now. And, and one of the, I think, big values we're bringing to those companies is we have PMs that understand the OT world and the IT world, right? So they can go to an OT control center. They can talk to those people. Those people feel like, okay, you get my world. You understand what it is. You don't see it just from an IT context, right? This is a bigger problem. It has you know, sometimes life and death, environmental, obviously major concerns. We got to be super reliable, but they can also understand, hey, here's the power of networking. Here's the power of a, a modern data platform or a data lake. Uh, this is how we can bring it together. This is how we can use automation, robotics uh, to make this more efficient. And, and so we've got to get more people that are really across those worlds. And that to me is one of the reasons. And, you know, our, our big, hairy, audacious goal at Alberta IoT is is to make Alberta the number one geographic region in the world for IoT, right? So if you think of how the Silicon Valley is thought of, of for you know tech innovation right now, mm-hmm. we want Alberta to be like that, right? So people are like, where are the best research going? Where's the biggest projects? Where's the best companies uh, around IoT? They're in Alberta, and so the more we can bring those OT and and IT worlds together, I think the more powerful we are, and the more we you know, push the envelope here and, and, and push this thing forward. And if you, you know, think about people like, um, you know, we had Scott on Atabotics, right? Like that's a great example of where we can go with this thing. And I know even um, just some of the, the last few guests you've had, they're really talking about IoT when they're talking about like, you know, data sets and, and working with the supply chain and, and that type of thing. Um, there's there's big power in that, right? There's big power in that. Is it is it? Well, so many questions. First, okay. Before I jump into my seventh question, I'll go to my first question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who owns this? Is this CTO, CIO? Like, if I'm thinking of a large, you know, large enterprise. Yeah. And you guys, you know, you, you, I'm just picturing you in the room trying to sell this in. Who's in the room? Who owns it? Is it is it still that place where it moves around? Of like, well, that's in my that's my court. No, no, that's mine. Yeah. Is is that working itself through? Because that can really that can really stop things in their tracks in an organizational level. Yeah, for sure. I, you know what we have seen and and it might be a little bit different based on the verticals you're in but it's it's a business-led initiative right so you usually have a business change agent or somebody in that business that understands some level of technology or some vision around what they want to do here and they're kind of reaching out saying hey I, I know that there's some art of the possible here I want to do something and they're trying to bring those worlds together it does not work if it's led by IT, uh, once again, because of the, that OT world and how different it is from IT. That's what I was hearing you. That's what I'm getting at. Because yeah, I'm like, well, it, if, it, if it starts in a certain area, does that make it that much harder of a sell-in to the rest of the organization? Yeah, and, w- and one of the things you know, a lot of the guests have pointed to and, and had conversation around is, is you got to be sell- solving business problems, right? Like that, That's where this thing starts. And you know, I'll give you an example of a, a project we looked at. It was... Um, it was in regards to a forestry company and sawmill and uh, the sharpness of the blades, basically creating timber, right? And so what is the optimum time to change that blade? Because, you know, you have to shut it down, et cetera. That had to be led by the business, right? The business, like if IT kind of showed up and kind of just said, hey, I want to do this, you really need that business buy and that business vision of, okay, and the business know-how of how that, actually works from a workflow and process point of view because that's that's the major lift here right it's not necessarily the technology it's really kind of you know how that world works and i'll tell you personally one of the things i love about the iot bet and why i think it's so important for alberta is if you kind of look at i'll say some of almost the meme that's happened around the transformation that's going on in the world around this kind of learn to code right like you know going to like a 40 year old miner and saying hey all you need to do now is learn the code 
Um, and this kind of Zoom nation mentality around, you know, hey, everything's software. Um, when you look at IoT, this is around some of that hands-on building work that I think is so important, right? That, you know, you can't eat the interwebs. You can't put the interwebs over your head to keep the rain out. There's real things, and we've seen this through the pandemic, right? So this really important work that's being done by what, you know, are real essential people in the economy. And so you're giving them tools to really drive those areas forward. And you're not going to be a coder. You don't have to understand it. You have to work, you know, very much like, you know, somebody in the factory where my dad came from now would work with a robot, right? Those are, those are going to be tools for you. But it's, you that, can it's, drive, the it's the interrelationship between the two, which that's I kind right. of guess you bring can, that you up. You can drive this thing too. forward. And, and anyone who's spent any time, you know, I, I know in my earlier career in IT, I was, you know, doing, you know, rollouts of desktops and, and uh, IT implementations for the projects up in Northern Alberta. And you see the innovation in those field workers, the people that are out there doing it in the trenches, their ideas and their capabilities um, around how to make things more efficient, more effective, how to use technology to actually get better results is incredible. And that's why I love this bet because you, you're, you're putting IoT into the mix into that system uh, with these incredibly smart, empowered people out there. Uh, big things are going to happen. That's so interesting. I love the I love the sawmill. I love the blade analogy because in the quote unquote old days, there was an operator, a guy that had been on running that yeah. machine for years, and he can tell you exactly when yeah. was the most efficient time yeah. to do that. Yeah. So that who do you who do you think you want to talk to about making that system work better? Is that is that person that individual guy or oh, gal? hundred percent, right? But then to be able to scale up, that's interesting. It feels a little bit more inclusive, where sometimes technology feels like like there's a whole group of people quote unquote getting left behind, and well, um, or you know, and you kind of touched on that about yeah. this kind of brings everybody in to kind of create a better like the, those those workers out there that really understand the problems they're trying to solve and the things that they deal with all the time yeah that's where my head's at and that's why i love the bat right uh, because i do feel like a lot of times it feels like everyone's got to become a, a programmer or a coder and that's not going to work and nor do we want all of a sudden that. we'll have nobody to actually to put their hands on the tools to do things yeah. anymore like yeah. I, I do i have a little bit of that lately where i'm like yes i know that's the world and we want to talk about that but yeah, we're a world that still consumes things and stuff and we need to build things. And, and that's becoming so out of fashion sometimes. It's a bit dangerous, I think. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm with you. And, and I think one of the blind spots, you know, working in technology is, as I call it, kind of the Zoom nation mentality that's gone through the pandemic that things just magically show up in my door and we should all just work from home and uh, <laughs> people don't need to be out there. Well, there's a whole bunch of really hardworking people that are making that yes. system still flow for everybody. And just because some of us can work from home and we're on Zoom calls all day, uh, we get a blind spot to kind of how that really works. And, and you know, being able to, to drive uh, transformation and innovation into those areas uh, only going to make us better. And hopefully it, it is inclusive and brings more uh, of the workforce along because we do need, you know, humans are amazing at problem solving and creativity. And even when we look at AI, it's, it's not there yet. It's not going to replace those types of things. Um, right. And so really important that uh, we use the intelligence that's out there to, f to keep improving these systems. And I love it talking about, but it's that interrelationship. It's not the robot necessarily taking your job, but it's how can you work alongside that robot without having to be a programmer, but to basically understand how it interacts in that environment. I had a guest on a while back and he talked about that, about just, you know, that, that level of, uh, you don't have to be a robot and a robotics engineer, yeah. but you yeah. need to be able to know that that robot will now play a part in your life and you need to understand it and be comfortable with it to then be able to work in that environment. Or that is when then you maybe have the risk of not being no longer viable or relevant in that space as this as this technology you're talking about comes in yeah i think one of the you know analogies 
um, I like to share sometimes is when people think of AI, they think of Terminator, right? They kind of think of right Skynet. Or Skynet, something. of course. Yeah. There's, there's a Skynet undertone to everything we're talking about. As I was thinking about getting on the uh, talk to you this morning, I was doing some reading. It's the, the Skynet narrative was running in the back of my mind. Yeah, but I really, I really think that AI, at least in the next few phases, is going to be more like Jiminy Cricket to Pinocchio. And it's, it's that on the shoulder, that voice in your ear, that thing that makes you better, that, that is a conscious of how, how you improve and how you innovate. Um, and that's really, really what really is, is this, this tool that assists you, right, that helps you improve. Well, it's interesting if you read and get into you know Yuval Harari or some of that, and he's like, yeah. what, what are the what are the future things we're going to be chasing? It's like the augment using technology to augment. He has some interesting theories, but one yeah. is like how how do we augment the human experience and how do mm-hmm. we like make superhumans? Having that kind of data that readily available that that creates a super operator or, or you know a super thought leader pretty quickly because they're they they can now be human and be creative and do the things with way better information than they could before. Yeah, I mean, it's in a philosophical sense, it's, it's kind of hopefully driving us to do more of what makes us human, right? So if you kind of think of some of the work that we've talked about, like my, my father worked on the line for, you know, 40 years, and it was a very dehumanizing process, right? That, you know, he kind of did the same repetitive thing over and over again. And occasionally, you know, they would change jobs or what have you. But if you kind of think of, well, you can automate a bunch of that repetitive work and now really bring your humanness, your, your creativity, your problem solving, your knowledge uh, to these things and, you know, uh, I think Daniel Pink, uh, Pink talks about, you know, autonomy, mastery, right, purpose. Those are the things that engage us with our work. So if we can, you know, and maybe this is a little idealistic, but we can drive more of that into job creation and build and design. Uh, and then, you know, people are more engaged with their work and, and uh, maybe love the work they do in, in a, a more fashionable way. I, I think there's some crazy stat, like 70% of people don't like their work right now or something like that. Uh, I try to steer away from those statistics because they're yeah. incredibly negative. I'm yeah. like, oh my God, that sounds horrible. You know, we all have the day where we don't like our work and the yeah. hour that we don't like it. And that's bad enough. I can't, I wouldn't want to think about that. It, it is when you get into the, the human side of it, there is going to be a transition and there are going to be a few casualties in the process. Like it's, mm-hmm. I don't want to sit here and be like, oh, it's all roses and it'll yeah. make everything better. And yeah. there's people listening going, screw you. It's not going to make my life better. And, yeah. or, or, the, or the, maybe a fear that it won't. I want yeah. to like, there's a big difference between also a fear and a, and a fear and a reality. The more we yeah. understand things, often the less we fear them. Yeah. So when you, when you, do you see or there's organizations, like, do you see resistance? Do you see heels getting dug in of like, no, we don't want to do it this way. Or are we on this path where there's enough people going, yeah, I know we've done it. You know, this is the way we've always done it, but there's enough around me showing me that we need to look forward. Like, I, what do you see just from the human, the change management side? Well, you know, and this is personal philosophy I'll, I'll share with you. Right. And I really think we're at a big moment of inflection. And um, I think one of the things the pandemic has done as you, if you think of, you, you know, you kind of get into habits and, and patterns. And I think, you know, the pandemic forced us all to kind of create new patterns and, and new habits. And, and one of those is obviously a lot of people are working from home and, and that type of thing. Um, and so I think there's a lot of a, a lot of things being up for debate and a lot of questions uh, around kind of where the innovation will happen. I mean, GameStop, I think, is a great example of of this people pushing on the system, right? The retail investors um, really pushing and finding a way to kind of squeeze some hedge funds there. And we can talk about, you know, what really happened there. But to me, that that's us trying to figure out kind of what comes out of this, right? What, what, what's the next kind of new normals or new habits or, 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 or new ways to work? And I, I do think there is a fair amount of resistance and pushback, right? Like, you know, one of the things... Uh, the debate right now is, you know, will people come back to the office or won't they? I know, you know, I think most people are set, settling on like a hybrid mode. So 
oh, we're going to do a couple days from the office when the team's in and maybe three days from home. But like, let's, let's push on that a little harder, right? So if you think of knowledge workers and you think of kind of how this is unfolding, I think one of the biggest questions is around productivity, right? And, oh, I, I used to kind of think I measured productivity by keeping an eye on people. Like that's what, how I think the system worked. And back and to now, the assembly hey, line, back to the assembly line environment. Yeah. Right. And now people are at home, they're, they're, they're somehow being product. There's productivity going on somehow, but if you think of, and it, this is probably, you know, for a certain segment of, of workers, but you can push that a little bit farther where you have an almost internal gig worker marketplace for your own workers. Right. So if I'm working from home, and why am I a knowledge worker? Why aren't we just putting problems into the marketplace and I'm solving those problems? Because I, hey, those are my skills. I like that problem. I'm curious about that problem. Um, and maybe I jump to that problem and I solve it. And then maybe it's not about, you know, hey, it was a really hard problem and it took two weeks to solve. But you know what? I was so good at it. I solved it in two hours. Maybe there's rewards and ways to measure productivity that way, right? Versus kind of the traditional ways we're thinking of it. And so that people can gravitate towards their work and people can actually show kind of true productivity, you know, like there's some uh, really kind of bleeding edge concepts out there. Like, I don't know if you've come across the, you know, um, the DAO, the decentralized autonomous organization that blockchains create. Um, so no, I, no, I have not. I, oh, okay. <laughs> So, so let's explain this concept. And, and like we said, we're getting caught up. So there's lots to talk about today. <laughs> so, so the DAO, if you think of the blockchain, and to me, the blockchain is, is very much, I believe, like a printing press moment. Like the, the, the impact of the blockchain is going to be huge. And we haven't really understood what it is yet. But the blockchain, and just in simple forms, I'll try to explain it in simple forms, is if you think of it right now, if we're trying to record things, um, just use financial transactions in a database, there's going to have to be somebody with godlike administrative abilities over that database, right? They're, they're going to be the person that can change anything in the database. And you're probably going to give that kind of uh, power to a, a few other people just in case, you know, that person is away or, or what have you. And so there's, there's some level of, tr of trust issues inside that system, right? Did somebody change a record or did somebody not change a record? If you look at what the blockchain does, it basically says, hey, what we're going to do with that database, and we'll put it into simple terms, is Let's say there's 100,000 people around the world with a piece of paper and a pencil. And every time somebody makes a record or does a transaction in that database, all 100,000 people are going to write that down at the exact same time. So now it becomes irrefutable, right? So now if I actually was going to, quote unquote, change the record, 100,000 people would have to agree to that record being changed at the exact same time. In some ways, unhackable, right? Yep. Right? And, and so now there's, there's no third party I have to go to to deal with any trust issues. A good example of, of where blockchain can be really powerful is there was an initiative, a project in Honduras, and obviously, you know, Honduras has had some governmental issues. Um, so, hey, why don't we put the land registry in blockchain? Therefore, whatever happens with the government, if the government changes out, that government can't come to me and say, you don't own your land because I have an irrefutable blockchain database that says, no, I bought that land from Tyler, right? doesn't matter what the government says. You know, you can try to change your records, your paper records. It's irrefutable, right? It's in the blockchain. Um, obviously, the government can take that land by force, but we have an irrefutable record that says that land belongs to myself or to Tyler, right? So it becomes really, really powerful. So then if you look to an organization, right, you can say, okay, well, now... We can set up an organization and we can have people participate in that organization and we can do something called staking, which is kind of like the mining concept. But staking is basically 
think of you being one of the people that's going to write down on the paper, right? I'm going to participate in the system. I'm going to give energy to the system. I'm going to write down records into the system. And so now those people that are staking can have votes into that system and they can gain votes by maybe how much they're producing or how much they're participating in the system. And now as an autonomous system, we can start voting on the work we want to do and we can start distributing the systems or the, the rewards from that system through that, uh, that, that DAO, right? And so now you have this powerful decentralized organization that's very possibly democratic or deciding on how that system works. And so those are the types of things that are out on the bleeding edge. And I think there is a lot of resistance to that. I think when you kind of come back and kind of look at things like, oh, maybe we'll work from the, high, the office in a hybrid mode. I don't think eh, there may be some resistance to that. But I think there, we're pushing this thing much further. I think the innovation that's going to come out of this is much more disruptive than uh, people realize. And I think there is a lot of resistance to how that is changing the world, right? If you look at... Just the demographics of our world it's right now. It's changing who. It's changing who's. It's changing who has the power, and that's always an interesting time in a society. A hundred percent. And if you look at, you know, I think you know Generation Z and and the millennial generation in the U.S. I think they're between both of them are like you know 60, 70 million in each of those categories. And so, uh, and, and I'm not so much into you know the each generation looks like this, but I am into that you know, younger people bring change and bring ideas. And if you look, especially Generation Z, they are very digital native. Um, they understand these tools. A lot of that GameStop push was from, you know, the younger generation, younger. people in their 20s, etc. I think this is a great thing, and I don't mean it condescending at all, that in your youth, you need naivety and some arrogance to go change the world. And I think that's where entrepreneurship comes from. And I think there's a bunch of that in the system. And if you were you know, lived through 2008, that financial crisis, that echo of that crisis still resonates. I mean, that's where Bitcoin was created, right? The, the frustration with the banking system. And, and that echo still resonates in that generation. And, and I think resonates with a lot of us that there has to be change. And, and that change is going to be coming through technology or technology is a tool to make that change happen. And, you know, if we go back to, I think, the concept we were talking about earlier, I think one of the biggest problems in the world right now is the inequality of wealth. And, um, you know, that inequality is only growing. I think it's only grown through the pandemic. I think it's shown that, you know, people that are working in certain fields are, are doing well and surviving this and other people are getting crushed. And, and so technology, and I think there's a committed group of people that are saying, okay, how do we use tools better now to make this more of an equitable system uh, that forces to your power, to your, your, your words, changes power, right? And maybe shares it in a better way. And so there is big change, I, I believe, right? So. At our provincial level, curious what you're seeing, because obviously the way we've always done it was disrupted by external forces, like, yeah. you know, the change in our resource sector. So, you know, even, oh, sorry, quick question, Alberta IoT, how many, how many company, how many members do you guys have? Member yeah, companies? there's 165 companies participating uh, in Alberta. And IoT. those are all in, and those are all in Alberta. All in Alberta. Okay. Uh, that's, and, that's, I mean, some of those are, you know, that, companies that have operations outside of Alberta, but they're, they're participating in Alberta. And there's about 2,500 people that are collaborating every month in Alberta IoT, right? So if you're an organization, you'll probably have multiple members in Alberta IoT. Uh, and so there's a huge amount of collaboration. There's a great ecosystem uh, happening here. Passionate, passionate people. Uh, you know, I'm only one voice of this system. And, you know, one of the, the, attitudes we came with to Alberta IoT, the Center of Excellence, which is like a project that we're executing. And we can talk about the specific initiatives in that project. But, 
you know, there's an incredible individual in Calgary. His name's Jim Button. He's the, the founder of Village Brewery. Um, and if you've ever hung out in the craft beer scene, uh, if you've ever had uh, that gift, they are incredible collaborators together. They support each other. They celebrate each other. They, they work together. And that was set in by Jim. Jim basically said, like, look, at, he, you know, we're going to create this industry called craft beer. It didn't really exist when he's got it going. And what we're going to do is, is yeah, we're, there's going to be some level of competition, but really we're trying to make market together, right? Like we're trying to create this market together. The bigger forces we're competing against are outside of us, the big breweries, et cetera. They're not here in Alberta. And so that attitude is really what we've come to the center of excellence with is like, you know, there's great things going on and, you know, we've, we've talked to platform and you've had them on and, you know, uh, Alberta innovates and all these organizations, what we're really trying to do is, is participate in that system to great market together from an IOT lens, right. To say, okay, this is our bet. And if somebody, you know, beats us to Alberta being, you know, number one in the world for, you know, green technology or energy storage or whatever it is, Hey, steak dinner on me. Um, you know, want to celebrate that together, but this, we really are passionate about the IOT bet for the reasons we explained earlier. Uh, but we want to participate in that ecosystem and really just keep building market together. And are you, is, is it those 160, those 2,500 people, is there that sense of abundance and opportunity and not the scarcity for talent, the scarcity for like your idea beats my idea? Because it sounds great and it sounds like, and I know you and I know that's kind of your philosophy and certainly from a value value set. Is that what you're seeing? Is it truly collaborative or people like, because I also think it's one of Alberta's superpowers, our, 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 if, our ability to help each other and our willingness, I should say, yeah. not our ability, but to be like, oh, call me. If I can't help you, all I know someone who can. That happens in this province, I think, better than anywhere else I've ever, I've ever lived. And if you're creating an ecosystem that that is the value set, that's pretty cool. So is, is, is it happening that way? Like, is it, is it working out as to your vision? Yeah. I, I mean, Alberta, like people will open the door for you. No one has shut the door in our face. Right. And when we show up with this vision, everyone's like, how can I participate? How do I, how do I help? Um, but I, I do believe like there's, there's issues that we need to fix in the system. Right. And, and if you think of, you know, we've identified six key streams that we're going after, right? Like I love the, the old saying, when all is said and done, more is said than done. And so we're like, we're very focused <laughs> on action. Okay. How do you do this? It's great to have meetings. It's great to collaborate, but we've, we've really got to get some streams in motion where the rubber hits the road. And the first one is we got to recruit companies here, right? Like we want to bring in more IOT companies uh, from the world. And that's only going to make us better to, to, to building the marketplace, right? Making it, making it larger. And there's, there's really good vehicles in place by our government that are underutilized to bring companies uh, in, but you need to make sure those companies have support. That feeds into the second one. And the one you talked about is we need to build talent, right? Like IOT is a new emerging area and, you know, there's a lot of great programs, um, you know, SAITS and the Nates of the world. And, and you had Amy on and what they're doing there, but we need to build more talent. And some of that talent, you know, you want to recruit in, some people, because obviously, you know, you want to work with the best to be the best, but we want to build incredible talent here and we want to foster the talent we already have here because we just need more of it. If you look at those OT, IOT projects, we need more people that can handle those, right, to, to move that forward. 
Just curious, just to dive down that. What are the roles there? Like, are these are, are these new emerging roles? Because it sounds like your, you know, I- IoT is a little bit of the umbrella, and underneath you've got your data people, you've got your hardware out in the field, you've got your network people. Is yeah. there is there a whole emerging new career set of, yeah. of like what's 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 the what's the in demand job title in in IoT? It almost feels like it's too high up to even say that. Yeah, yeah. Though there, there's several, like you said, if you kind of, and that's why we love to chase IoT because it kind of brings it together. But if you kind of think mm-hmm. of you know, I, I was down in the valley. This is pre-pandemic, and I was talking to um, bumped into this amazing conference around AI, IoT, and it was with uh, practitioners. It wasn't like a big glossy conference. It was like the the person at Uber that's running their data scientist team was in the room. The person at Walmart that was running data science was in there, and you know, one of the concepts of of kind of the most powerful teams was you know you have a PM. You have a product manager, you have an AI specialist, you have a a data scientist, um, you probably have some practical coders, but you also have kind of that person from the vertical inside that room, right? So, or inside that team. The person so, really understands, like you said, that the, the, the individual who knows what goes on inside that specific type of business. Right, industry. right. And there's this concept, uh, DevOps, uh, which is if you kind of think of the traditional, like my dad's example of the line worker, right? And, you know, you kind of hand things down a line. And yeah. um, the DevOps model, which is really, you know, being driven by, you know, software and cloud is, is this concept of a, a team that's collaborating together and working really quickly on problems to solve those problems very much about agility, very much about speed. And so if you think of, okay, just physically how that team looks like, they're probably in a room, there's a a table in the middle, they work at their desks, there's whiteboards everywhere, and they keep conglomerating in the middle of the room as they're solving problems together, right? And they're just kind of- each of their individual perspectives and disciplines. That's right. But almost like a Navy SEAL team in a sense of a smaller team that's highly adaptable, that can kind of meet the conditions as they come to them, but they're moving rapidly with speed. And, and, And so that IoT- career that I, IOT space is emerging. And, and so you, you look at people with, you know, uh, OT operators, data science, AI, right? Um, one of the things I love is, is there's a lot of what's called citizen uh, coders or developers, right? So coding is becoming a lot more automated or a lot easier. And so yeah. if you look at a tool like Power BI from Microsoft, that really allows you and I to kind of build dashboards and work with code the code is automated in the background. And so you're seeing a lot more drive for that, you know, digital developers or digital citizen that, that is that, uh, that no, is that, is that, does that fall into the kind of the no code, low code kind of perspective? 100%, like 100%, like you can just grab a You can yeah. grab a piece off the shelf and bolt it together. Yeah, like, same thing. I same love thing. the Roblox phenomenon. You've got nine year old kids that are now building their own fully interactive, you know, who are they going to be when they hit the job force in, in eight years? Like uh, it's going to be incredible. hundred <laughs> percent. And, and that's yeah. that DevOps mentality of there's a problem here. Yeah. I'm just going to solve it move on to the next problem. And, and, and so there is a, a bunch of careers here to be had. And, and I think the Alberta ecosystem, you know, with engineers and, and, and the DNA we've had, has a really good starting spot uh, for those IoT careers. Interesting. Yeah. So that was we we got you said you had six. We yeah. got through we got through two. So I'll pick yeah, thanks for yeah, driving down the road. Always there's always a rabbit hole. There's probably ten of them we're gonna dump yeah, down. So what, what's yeah, what's number three? Absolutely. The next one is amplifying the story, right? So you've seen it through the podcast. I think the biggest thing we hear is, hey, um, somebody's got to tell the Alberta story. Uh, I'm busy building my company. I got my head down here. And I think yeah. that's been one of the great insights from the podcast is there's these incredible people that are transforming the Alberta economy. I'm, I'm super optimistic and bullish just having heard, you know, whatever 120-ish of those people on the show talking about 
what's going on in Alberta. But we've got to tell that story. And, and we think from the IoT perspective, the story we want to tell is that we are building IoT unicorns here. And so what's a unicorn? A unicorn in the Silicon Valley tech world is a you know a billion dollar valuated company that's been started up in that geography, right? So oh, can you build unicorns? Well, I believe we've got a bunch of unicorns on the way, or maybe that already exists in our ecosystem. We want to tell that story. We want to tell about the people that, or the organizations that are on their way to become unicorns, because there's incredible work being done here. Like Atabotics, that story should be way more well-known inside this province um, than it is. Uh, uh, you know, if you look at Cement is another good story. I mean, I think one of the biggest capital raises in Canadian history um, and the work they're doing there. Um, so we want to get those stories out. We, we want to help market here and, and, and share the share the word. The, the next one is we want to facilitate capital investment. You know, our, our aim is somewhere around 50 million more in, in capital investment around IoT companies and, and projects and, and make sure that happens. The, the other one kind of points back to where you talked about the, the province and, and we want to get in with government and help the government in partnerships. If you look at, you know, India, I don't know how long ago it's now, it's many decades ago, really purposefully had a group of people that said, we are going to become the best place in the world to build semiconductors. Now, what they did is they formed an organization that wrote policy and put strategy to the government about how to do that, right? So we want to do that for IoT, right? If you're a government, uh, you know, elected member or working in the government, I don't think there's somebody coming to show you the strategies and the moves and the policies that need to be in place to make us number one ge geography in the world for IoT. And so yeah, yeah. we, we want to work on that. And, and the government needs that, right? We need to help them there. We need to partner with them in, in, in that. And, and the last one for us is research. Like one of the incredible things is, you know, you look at, you know, the U of C's, the States, the U of A's. Amy is a great example. There's incredible research being done, but sometimes it's just not connected, right? And it's it's not maybe amplified, right? Those people, once again, we have people working really hard, doing great work, but they're focused in their areas and they're in their collision areas. And we want to get those collisions bigger and we want them to, um, that research to become better well-known. And if you look, you know, one of the, 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 the principles that we're looking at is um, Yoshua Bengio in um, um, Montreal, right? The AI professor that came. And when Yosh came, like there was a huge energy because he was world renowned. A lot of people started going uh, to Montreal to work with Yosh to be those kind of research people, right? To make that happen. Mm -hmm. And um, we want to raise either raise some of our professors' um, profiles, or if we need to, if that doesn't exist, bring them in. I think it's probably more about raising our profiles because of the amazing work that's being done in the province. Well, yeah, we're talk even talking to Cam Linky from Amy and yeah. like some of the some of the top like thinkers in the world around AI and are, are at Amy and you just like, well, how come it, is there, what's holding us back from having that Montreal moment, whatever that, and how long ago was the Montreal? Like when did that journey start? Cause I've talked to a few people about it. And of course being a Montrealer, it's uh, close to my heart. Yeah. It's an interesting question. You know, I, I don't know exactly when it start started, but it came onto my radar kind of probably about 2010, 11 ish. that something okay. was happening there. Right. I'm in, COVID time, it all blends together, but it's a great, it's a great question. And I do think like, it's an interesting thing around, if you look at some of the amazing intelligence and, and work, and I think the Amy podcast really kind of is an eye opener where you kind of go, wow, like the, the amount of work these people are doing up there. 
but is it like that, that, that's you don't that the tip that the average person doesn't have a clue that it's yeah. going on like I, that that yeah. podcast like i just felt like i was you know getting to see and and that was a government initiative like if someone had the, the right idea yeah. 40 years ago like that's an amazing story when you unpack that before it was even being thought about someone thought about doing it in in Edmonton. Like that's, oh. that, that's an incredible story. But those are the stories that kind of seem to slip under the radar here. Well, and, and I, I think it's, you need people to tell that story. It's hard to tell that story yourself. Right. And, and it's always more valuable when someone else, earned media is always more valuable. When someone else is telling your story. Yeah. For you, and absolutely. you're busy and they're focused and they're working on things. And I'm sure, you know, just, they're not ego driven people that want to be in the media. They, they'd much rather do the work. So people need to, you know, amplify and tell that story, especially for this, this province, just for our confidence and for our optimism around the amazing work they do. And so, you know, we're going to serve a role in that and, and we're going to do our best to, to, to help there for sure. Curious, talking about IoT, and the more I'm hearing you talk about it, the more I'm understanding it. Is there a challenge because it it, it is a bit broad and it has yeah. so many constituent parts? It's like it's like saying, "Oh, we want to have a tech sector. Is tech a sector? Is IoT a sector? Or is just an IoT a way of doing a, a way of engaging and solving the problems that we also have a lot of in this province, like large pieces of industrial equipment?" Uh, curious, like it feels like the part of the IoT challenge is just the fact that it is such a maybe a little bit so high up in yeah. terms of term and all the constituent parts that I'm really are starting to understand that make it up each one being its own discipline that kind of has its own legs yeah absolutely and i think you know if you look at any of those terms you know cloud ai um they're they're big categories right they're they're massive categories in uh, AI, uh, yeah to, to their own yeah, yeah there's there's a bunch of you know machine learning deep learning all those types of things that happen in ai itself so i i i think one of the the values of iot is that it works with those multiple disciplines but allows us as creators in Alberta to kind of see ourselves in it and build what we need to, right? If you kind of said, Hey, the bet is FinTech and the bet is, you know, all in on FinTech, which I, you know, there's some people that are doing that and they're doing incredible work. I think from a motivation from bringing people together to collaborating, it's, it's just limited, right? I think inside Alberta, um, one of the things that you realize, if you look at just like our agriculture sector, uh, IOT, how it plays in there, like I, I think, IoT is going to be extremely valuable and, and amazing. You know, ag is so big in Alberta and, and once again, probably doesn't get the, the due it deserves. No, ag is such a good example of, yeah. of so much more innovative and technology advanced and, and, then, and inclusive than people, I think, real, again, I'm people, broad sweeping statements, than people tend to realize. That's it's right. easy to think of ag and I've had uh, Wilson Acton on yeah. talking about like, who's more innovative than farmers because they've been trying to beat the weather, beat the market, beat everything for the last, like, for since the beginning of time. 100%. And they will use any piece of technology, anything they can, whether that's a new piece of equipment out in the field, but now it's, it's the intelligence that they're getting about the job that they're doing. Yeah, and Wilson is part of the Center of Excellence, right? So I'm working side by side with him and, and incredible insights into this area. But the, yeah, they're doing some. They're doing some really cool stuff. Yeah, check, exactly. Check out, Ver, check out Verjag. Cool. Check out that episode. Great story. Great, great, great Alberta-based story. Yeah. So, so you don't force in the province. It feels like sometimes people have wanted to force a bet, right? Like, oh, it's got to be energy. Oh, it's got to be ag. Oh, it's got to be fintech. And yep. I, I think the thing about this is it allows you to create. And we've seen, especially through the podcast, we've seen people in each of those verticals really uh, making powerful things happen. And so. Um, we can have multiple different verticals working in Alberta, working successfully, doing lots of crazy stuff with IoT that drives value. And sure, maybe one of those verticals uh, comes out dominant. Uh, that's fine. But, you know, IoT is a tool uh, to create with and, and we want as many verticals in Alberta creating with it as possible. 
And that's it was a question we used to ask like, on, on the first first series when we were like, which you know, which two industries should collide together uh, to learn from each other? And that was a fun question. A lot of people had different things I hadn't thought about. When you think of IoT, that does kind of come underneath all of them. Like it's a, it lifts it all up because you're right. Whether you're in ag or or biotech or whatever, the, or in energy. Uh, IoT is going to play a role. So that's back to like, it's like, you can't call tech a sector. You can't really call IoT a sector either. It's, right. it's an underpinning and a way of integrating all of these moving pieces, which is the technology buzzword bingo, like yeah. AI, VR, AI, like you can grab yourself nuts thinking about each one of those. Yeah. Just the AI rabbit hole I've tried to go down and I feel like I've only scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, DeFi, I think decentralized finance and FinTech is, that's an incredible world unfolding. And we talked a little bit about the, the cryptocurrency um, blockchain and, and Bitcoin, but mm-hmm. right now, and I know we've had some guests on there. Uh, I'm really intrigued by kind of decentralized finance, and you know, you're you're starting to see tools like not only can you know you have cryptocurrency, but you can start lending it to people, and you're lending it direct, so there's no bank in the middle, right? And then these financial tools are being built, um, and you know, projects are being executed, and I think that area, man, it's I'm really intrigued by what's going to come out of that in the next, you know, five, six, seven years. What decentralizes the power, the power dynamic back to like we talked about at the beginning. Like if now I can lend money to you and the fear of like, Oh, the fear of that goes away. Hey, we didn't think we, we could stay at strangers houses on the other side of the world or jump into a car with a stranger. So if you think of that and how quickly that's been normalized for us, you start thinking about the world of finance. It's only, it's just, it's not if it's when. (laughs) hundred percent. And you think like, just think of the power of those tokens, right? Like if you think of, okay, cryptocurrency with tokens, um, I know that there's some projects working on uh, attention token, right? So right now, uh, you know, the saying is if, if you don't pay for the product, you are the product. So Facebook, et cetera. Yeah, I think we all, learned, we all learned that from Social Dilemma and we all walked away feeling slightly dirty about that. That's one. right. That's <laughs> surveillance capitalism that's kind of emerged, right? So, so now maybe you can create a token where you're going to get rewarded or paid because you're using that token to show up and, and it knows that your attention is on things, right? So, hey, if I'm searching the web or I'm doing certain things, that token represents me. They know that uh, obviously I'm present and now I'm going to get rewarded for that. I'm going to be paid for that. You think about also the, that, the power that this is going to bring to artists, right? Like I think royalties. Yes, and there's some really interesting, there's a the King of Leon's kind of example with the non-fungible token. That's another, it's one of the browser windows that are up I the article I need to read yeah. about the album they released where they like cut out the publisher yes. and kind of took control over their own art. It's very interesting. Absolutely, right? The NFT space right now, super hot. Seems yeah. like it's having a moment. Where that lands, where that goes, I'm not too sure, but it, it shows you the art of the possible and it, it shows you where people's heads are at. And that's why, you know, if we kind of circle back, is there resistance? I think there's a bunch of resistance to that amount of change, right? That that amount of innovation that's happening. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, we're terrible at predicting the future, but I really feel, you know, five, six, seven years from now, how this is going to look is going to be quite different. And we're going to look back at the pandemic and we're going to say, oh, that's where it came from, right? And it's going to be slow, slow, fast as like most so innovation much, yeah. happens. You're not really going to realize it's emerging like that, but then it's going to be ubiquitous across, you know, that the fact that we are now using, you know, cryptocurrencies, maybe that's, you know, stable coins and that's, you know, Canadian dollars that are, is digitally transferred. But big things I think are going to happen from here. I would love, like if, you know, say if you had three wishes, well, one of my wishes would be just to see five years from now. Like, I, I think it's going to be incredible to see how much the world's transformed. 
When it comes to what you've seen, and even even with these companies uh, operating, you know, your 160 companies, how has the pandemic been? Has it been uh, an amplifying effect? Like, has it been the you know five years of innovation in five months kind of where there's all kinds of those things floating around? Yeah. Have you seen those companies move forward? Like, has there been a leap forward driven by all of this new mindset? Let's just call it a new mindset that the pan- the pandemic yeah. has given us all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, not to simplify it, but I think there's probably two categories to it. I think there's there's companies fighting for survival. Um, that have been heavily impacted. If you think of some of the verticals, you know, like tourism and travel and, and we, you know, and this is more the long view hat, you know, we, we have clients in those areas and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting through this. I, you know, you can't imagine if you lost 90% of your revenue in your business, you know, what do you drastically have to do? Um, I think there's organizations that are realizing like they're playing more into it. I think, you know, we do a lot of financial sector, and they're realizing, mm-hmm. hey, we have to transform, we have to innovate more, and they're you know double, tripling down into it. I, I think there's almost a sense of, you know, the pandemic, and, and this is guesswork, but it feels like we're getting closer to the finish line with vaccinations, and you know maybe mm-hmm. every um, American adult Americans vaccinated by July, and Al- Albertans somewhere around there, um, and so you start opening up, and I think there's a feeling like, okay, we've got to get this digital transformation or this innovation done because the world's going to be different on the other side, and so let's yeah. like. They get they get ready kind of mindset, yeah, which ready. I love. A good, a good sense of urgency is worth its weight in gold. Yeah, <laughs> let's let, let's execute uh, extremely fast. I think you know that mindset around just some of the building blocks. Like we see a lot of work on security and cybersecurity because of kind of you know the new models people are going into and they're realizing, hey, we're going to work in more of this digital this digital space. Um, but you know, we do a bunch of what we call data modernization work, which is really creating data lakes and, and allowing people to, you know, use their data in powerful ways and, and very much kind of like the IOT conversation we had around getting insights and becoming more effective. And that area is incredibly, incredibly busy and hot. And it's because businesses, and that is being led by business leaders, realize I've got to become more competitive. I've got to do different things on the other side of this. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a direct value problem. Like I need to create more value. So let's. So yeah. for you, for you, what you see, are we still? And I've heard this from other guests as well. We're kind of still in that catch up phase. Yeah. Like let's get our data to a place that we're ready, and then man, now we can really go forward and make some changes. I had one guest on. He said, you know, uh, from Williams Engineering. He said, you know, we've been at this for three years just to figure out what yeah. value it could create. Yeah. So he goes, when you know, when you go into this, like you got to be in for the long haul. This isn't a quick like, oh, three months and we'll have an answer and turn things around and now we'll be this, right. you know, information driven company. He's like, you know, you don't even you don't even know what you're able to solve based on what data you think you might have. Yeah, there's this concept called technical debt, which really is, you know, uh, hmm. a term for how far behind you are or how much your systems are lagging. And I, there's a real push to get rid of technical debt inside of organizations, um, and that that big spot for technical debt is around kind of that, that data, that system approach. Like we, we call it the modern worker, right? So you're, you're working from any device, any place, any time, but you're getting really powerful data and insights to impact the business and make big outcomes happen. And so you're trying to get rid of that technical debt to really get to that model. And, and so, yeah, there is, there is a lot of work being done. Uh, and, you know, we, our offices are across Canada in the U S and so we're seeing that uh, across the board. I was going to, you beat me, you beat, kind of led me into my next question yeah. with your long view hat on, like where is Alberta? Yeah. Cause you guys have five offices and you're yeah. in di- different cities with kind of very different levels of where we're maybe, and maybe not like where, where is Alberta said if there was a ranking of, yeah, you know, like we're well on the path or you know what, we're lagging a little bit. Where would you say? Yeah. You know, it's, 
interesting if I look at those different offices and so you know Edmonton Calgary Vancouver Victoria Toronto uh, Denver Dallas Houston um, Toronto that's is inter- going, that's, a, that's an interesting mix. yeah <laughs> Toronto is going gangbusters right like they're they're that economy and I heard somebody say a stat the other day that downtown houses in Toronto have gone up like 27 percent in price or something like there there seems to be a lot of activity and I think it's driven maybe by the finance sector there and and obviously the tech sector that's kind of been built there but there's a lot happening there and so I would say that's the hottest economy of all those economies uh, for, okay. for digital oh, transformation right. and, and digital change um, I would say you know we're, we're seeing Alberta like a lot of the companies we work with are embracing it and and there's not like it's not like Alberta is like not coming to digital transformation or they're denying this a moment or it's not happening. Absolutely is. Um, so I would say the problem, I think, in some of the Alberta companies uh, is they're fighting for survival. And I, we totally respect and get that. And, and so it's great to talk about this stuff. But if, if you, you've lost that revenue, you, you don't have the way to invest then you've got to scrap it out. And so they're, they're finding ways to scrap it out. They're super resilient. I mean, Alberta has always been resilient and they find a way to be fighters. So there, there's a bit of a different dynamic in some of that, but I, I, across the board, it's, it's been pretty similar. Um, you know, I, I would say, uh, you know, BC is probably not too far behind Toronto as far as, you know, the activity and, and the amount of buzz going on in, in that economy. So. I love the technical, the word technical debt, because debt usually implies some type of a cost structure yeah. or some type of a, yeah. you know, you've got to, you've got to spend your way. You, you, there's, you're spending your way out of it just to get to a place to try to be innovative about the future, yeah. like just catching up with where we need to be to operate. Yeah. And, and would you say, I, I would imagine that the, the, the pandemic, there was no, there's no more sitting. Everyone knows that you can't sit on the sidelines. Like it was the proverbial kick in the pants, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and realize your technical debt and how much it was costing you and, how much is going to cost you on the other side. And I think got people motivated for change, but I think any of that disruption just, it was a moment of change because, you know, everything was kind of up for grabs, right? Your, your habits, yeah. your routine, um, you know, the people that said, Oh, I'm never going to get on a zoom call. <laughs> Suddenly those people had to learn how to get on zoom calls. Like I was blown away working in tech, like before the pandemic, how many people had never been on a quote unquote zoom call? How many people had never used skip the dishes? How many people never used Uber or like any of that digital economy? Yep. And now they're all in it and they're all very comfortable or, you know, most of them are very comfortable in it. And so you can see how that accelerated us to start thinking about other things to do on top of this, right? Well, if we can do this, right, then why don't we do some stuff with AI and automation and maybe robotics do serve a, a bigger purpose for us. And if I've listened to several podcasts around pandemics and, and there was a great BBC series around just recovery. So it talked about, you know, the end of the Spanish flu. It talked about the end of World War II. It talked about Black Plague and it talked about recovery. And each of those scenarios and, you know, you, you, you kind of draw some familiarities. And so, so maybe you're doing some confirmation bias here, but in each of, <laughs> are, are we always yeah, a little bit? <laughs> in each of those scenarios, there was a surge of activity after that, uh, you know, a big mm-hmm. moment of, of, of change, innovation, a big moment of demand, uh, of recovery. Now that doesn't, sometimes that was only a year. Like if you look at 1921, they kind of, there's a bit of a, a quote unquote recession after that. Um, and there's different dynamics like the black plague, you know, really killed a lot of people that were that the, the people that are in that productive work ages. And so serfdom basically had to be destroyed and the workers could demand more power because they were in such 
demand because there were so few of them. Yep. Back, back to the back to the who who has the power supply. Who has the power and, and power shifts. And 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 so I really feel that you know we're open for this change. And I you know it's very much like if you think of 9-11 and that moment um, where you can't go back, like there, you know, people say, oh, we're going to go back. Well, you, you can't go back. You, you can't unlearn what you've learned. You can't un- or take away the experiences you've had. And, and we can't think of the world pre-9-11 and everything that's changed and you know, security and, and, and how that happened. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be the same way with the pandemic in the sense of that's going to be a, a moment when you look to that you'll just connect a whole bunch of kind of tail effect from and go, well, why do we do it this way? And you'll be like, oh, remember back in the pandemic before we used to do it? And that's just how change happens, you know? No, and there's there's never the, the good old days and we romanticize the going back, and it, but it just does, it, that's just not how it works. Yeah. We do move forward and I yeah. think it's great from that perspective. Uh, just curious, more of a technical. We're get, we're get, we're, we I love we we always go look get into the details. Well, a bit philosophical, yeah. Detail, a little more philosophy. Um, I was talking to someone the other day, a uh, big dev shop here in town, and they're doing a lot of digital transformation. And I said, "Hey, is this you know is there a barrier for smaller companies versus larger yeah. companies?" And you know, thinking of like a lot of these big solves feel very enterprise. And they said, actually, no, they say there's like the, the, the mid size, the mid market because their agility, because yeah. they typically have a little bit more of a connection to their data. They're actually leading some of these trends, which creates an interesting dynamic. That's where you get those, that leapfrog effect in an economy where the smaller company gets a handle on their data, gets back like their, their technical debt can be, can be paid off quicker yeah. and then they can lunge ahead. So are you seeing that kind of, is that a similar, I liked how they explained it that no, actually being a bit smaller was maybe an advantage in some of these incidents. Well, I think being small is an advantage in, in a lot of ways. Like if you look at, if you would start a company now, just from a technical footprint, the companies we see start, they start in the cloud. They're digital natives, right? They don't have traditional IT. And, you know, that's a world we work in is IT. So they would start in the cloud. They would probably start with the concept of using data and setting up data to be powered by um, and to make decisions from. There's probably a lot of automation and scripting already going into that system. So they're designing, right? They have a blank page. They're designing from scratch using the digital tools that are available. We look at mid-market and we see absolute, you know, strong innovation, agility, commitment to digital transformation. That's the main part of the market that from a long view perspective we work with. And absolutely, um, you know, once again, we're seeing a lot of business driven innovation happen in that space. You know, the, the thing about the enterprise is the enterprise happens more from change agents and projects, not the whole, like they don't go for the whole enchilada, right? So if you think of, you know, some of the work in some of the larger enterprise, I would say, we see really cool initiatives that are almost like a black swan or, or almost like a, a black skunk works kind of project on the side, right? Okay. And and so they're experimenting there. They're like, hey, you go over there, you do your thing, you become digital right away, you'll use different tools and see if you can get us to market in this new way or new experiment. And Well, you need to get out from under the governance, right? That kind of runs the other organization for good reason. And if uh, you, you can't kind of think differently inside the same ecosystem that kind of got you there. hundred uh, percent. Like, and I think a lot of our guests yeah, have- It's easy to talk about. It's hard. Some companies are, I've had people talk about like, it's, you have to really, you have to physically go to a different location. Yeah. Like you can't even be under the same roof to sometimes do that. Yeah. And I, you know, you have to respect the, the work that's being done there. I, I know several of the guests on the podcast have pointed out that, you know, safety- and the safety environmental record of Alberta and how it works is incredible. And so this, this mentality of fail fast and, you know, be super agile and, you know, yeah. just keep pivoting. 
that that's not going to work over there, nor do you want it over there. That's that's a different thing. And and so I think the, the enterprises are really understanding that. And so they, they've got these projects going on that people are allowed to experiment with, but they're keeping that you know area that needs to be about safety and reliability under the right governance. No, I, I haven't had a guest bring that up for a while, but like you, you talk about like our culture here and the types of projects we've done, yeah. like failure is not a negotiable yeah. and like losing money is not the mindset yeah. and doing something like, well, we're just going to test this out. And oh, we had an environmental disaster and three people died. Like it's not a negotiable no. thing because yeah. we do, because we, we live in the physical world in this province for a lot of, like we've built our whole world around Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's an interesting cut, but it's, it's, it's being okay and giving permission of understanding kind of where the, uh, certain industries are coming from that, that is a certain dynamic, but then how do we, how do we work around that to still be innovative and create change? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Right. And I think, you know, it's interesting, mm. you know, we look at some, you know, Gartner and IDC information uh, around digital transformation and, you know, the number one problem uh, that people point to around, you know, digital transformation and why it might not be happening is understanding how to innovate because innovation's a muscle, you know, and if you think of, kind of how people traditionally have probably thought of innovation as like the epiphany in the shower. You know, we kind of, we sometimes call it the hippo model, which is the highest paid person in the room comes up with an yeah, idea. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's the flux capacitor. You fell off, hit your head in the toilet and drew the flux right. capacitor and, that, yeah, and built a time machine. That's <laughs> right. But what we really believe is innovation is a muscle that you have to kind of be building and working on every day. And you have to, you know, you have to be trying things and experimenting with things and pivoting and, and, you know, 99 ideas to get to one idea that you want to put energy into and you've got to give creative space and there's exercises and there's, there's ways to approach it. And, and so you've, you've, you've got to do that in a deliberate way. And I think a lot of organizations are starting to figure that out that they can't just, you know, Hey, let's put three people in a room, brainstorm. Okay. Vote on the idea. This is the number one idea. That's, that's our future. That there is this core kind of, art form along with a disciplined muscle that allows you to continue to innovate. And then you can spread it into the organization as a DNA of the organization. So the people are feel empowered and understand really how to innovate. You know, it's like riding a bike. You got to keep doing it and find that, you know, that balance of it. And then off to the races you go. Uh, which I love, and I agree with you, but talking about it on the podcast, so, you know, in this environment, but when you add that sense of urgency and you add that we lost 80% of our revenue, yeah. like the need for speed yeah. becomes a real driver. And, you know, let's be honest, like I, I was riding a motorcycle with a friend and then we're talking about cornering and yeah. talking about corner entry speed. And, you know, I was like, what's the main thing that speed does is it reduces the options yeah. <laughs> because like you better get it right yeah. because man, like at that speed, you don't have the time to go, Oh, I'm going to change what I thought I was going to boom in the ditch yeah. kind of, kind of mindset. Yeah. And when you've got that pain of a, of a big, you know, financial impact to your company, then we need to change quickly. Yeah. Uh, really kind of overshadows that organic process that you just described, which is where real innovation and new ideas come from. Right. And, and, and I think a lot of the navel gazing had to get gone from the system pretty quick, right? You couldn't sit around and kind of <laughs> had to get gone. I totally think agree. about it and <laughs> philosophize for six months. And well, I don't know. What do you think? I think we're okay. Like it was to your point of the, yeah. the power. It used to be easier. It used to be just easier not to do, not to, not, not to make a choice. That's right? right. You know, avoidance, you know, despite debating and, and, and keeping that debate open and, and not taking action. And, and so we, you know, I, there's been incredible examples of, of quick and deliberate innovation, uh, I think you're going to see more of that emerge on the other side of this. I think there's going to be incredible stories of pointing to somebody in the organization that more or less had an idea and probably pivoted an organization to keep it alive and survived yeah. um, from that kind of ideation and creativity inside the organization. 
It's 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 almost like we're all living that startup. I talked to a company yesterday at a, at a Winnipeg that uh, does freight, yeah. like uh, brokers and truck drivers, and they said we were done, we were out of money. And one of the partners just said, you know what? Or one of the founders was, why don't we just go online, find every email for every trucking company out there, and just sign them up and send them an email and say welcome to our system. Yeah. And he goes, a week later, it took off. But he goes, it was the last ditch. Yeah. We didn't have yeah. anything else to do, so like, let's just go for it. Yeah. <laughs> and he kind of told the story of like we were done. Like we were literally like, how do we like just roll it up and go get it? Go get jobs and somebody came up with the harebrained scheme yeah. <laughs> because yeah. the pressure and you know that the, the you know i think those are those are the, those are the startup moments we like to glamorize but it, it they do happen it's a real thing 100 uh, percent. and to your point they <laughs> how, how do you bring that into a, into all sides of organizations yeah and, and to your point they happen under pressure right and um that's yes. the moment we're in for sure Yes, no, in Alberta, that that pressure is very real, and I believe we are rising to the challenge. Absolutely, and just just by just the the guests alone, like, and that's what I love about this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Like, you talk to 120 people; those are actual influencers that are making a difference. This isn't a nameless, faceless like community that we live in. We're small enough that we've still got that. Oh, I know so and so, and they're doing such and such, and that's inspiring. Or I'm going to go get them to help me with my thing. That is again back to the Alberta superpower. Yeah, that's my question to you. I mean, you know, having heard from all those guests, like, where's your mind at uh, your mindset around Alberta and its transformation. Uh, it's interesting. I think we're well on the journey and I want to quote, I'm going to go all the way back to episode number one with Mr. Jim Gibson. Mm-hmm. He goes, you know, we're 10 years behind on a 20 year plan mm-hmm. kind of, kind of mindset. Yeah. And what, what I love is I've really, even since I'm doing the episode and this is a little bit of my, my own, I've been seeing it. So I'm believing it that there is a change and there's a lot more, Hey, we're going to do things differently. And like, let's, there's some room for change coming in. The challenge is that's like a 10 year cycle. I think we're on. And when I think about some of the problems we're trying to solve now about that that individual going, oh, just go learn how to code. Like, so what I don't, what I'd get challenged on, what I was excited to talk to you, like what's going to be the lightning rod that maybe brings that together a little bit that mm-hmm. helps bridge some of the people that are like, yeah, yeah, great. A, a tech startup scene. How does that affect me? The geologist who's been working mm-hmm. for 20 years and now I'm out of work and I'm expected to reskill. So where I get uncomfortable is how long, like what, will we get there? Yes. What's the process in between and some of the casualties yeah. and how are we, how are we dealing with those individuals that like kind of had their world ripped out from under them and there's just some expectation that they're just supposed to pivot and just supposed to take up this new mantle. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm, I wrestle because I get really excited about the positivity, but I don't see it reaping rewards for like longer down the road. And what are we going to do in the meantime with our tax base and our, you know, uh, real estate downtown and like some of those challenges, those are, those are, those are problems that are now, but they're not going to be solved for a while. And that gap is where I feel my most angst. I, and I don't have an answer to mm-hmm. it personally. Yeah. I like to, I describe myself as a paranoid optimist and the paranoia is you got to do the work. You got to work hard. You got to be doing the right things and things will work out. And I'll, I'll tell you through those episodes, it's just been incredible to see the talent, the passion, the drive. Um, like I feel really good about having these incredible people working on this and transform the economy. I mean, there's lots of work to be done. Um, yeah. But I, I feel you can kind of feel something happening here. You know, I, I really feel like there's a scene developing um, very much. If you kind of like think of the Seattle grunge scene or the in Paris, the the, the writers after World War One with Hemingway and those people like there, there's an incredible amount of talent here that is starting to build something. And I think to your point, it's not such a big pond that. You don't. You end up bumping into these people. You you talk to these people. You you collaborate with these people. You get to participate in that. And you know what comes from those ripples ten years from now. I I, I think we're going to have almost like Calgary uh, Olympics moment where we're going to look back and say, you know, 
this all came from kind of, you know, that pandemic time and all the innovation transformation that was happening, that group of people, you know, platform and uh, Alberta innovates and, and all the incredible um, incubation hubs that are going on that came from that Amy, right. It's a great example. Yep. Right. And, and wow, the province, you know, you wouldn't recognize the province if you went back to it 10 years ago. And, and, and I'd say that with, I believe energies and ag and all the key industries we have right now are still going to be participating. They're just going to be participating in a transformed way um, that we're all going to just be blown away by. Well, being big enough that you've got like, you know, we had such a, you know, the hub and spoke of like the energy sector was the hub yeah. and then you had all the spinoff industries around it. If each one of those nodes starts to create its own little spinoffs, like that diversity and that balance and, yeah. you know, the, 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 that we're on a path for, it's just, it's going to take time. Like these are not overnight, no. these are not overnight no. changes. And how do we adapt and how do we bring everyone along on the journey back to your point about how do we adapt this new mindset of the worker of the of the contributor i don't even want to use the word worker because this seems so seems like an adequate term almost by itself mm -hmm. you know how how do these how does everyone who's here now be able to contribute in this transition mm -hmm. to allow us to get to this 10-year you know mirage that we see mm -hmm. out there which i think is very real and very positive mm -hmm. it's an interesting journey just since starting the podcast the the vibe the people i'm talking to like it feels like it's already in like 18 months it's yeah. shifted significantly in my mind and not take the pandemic out yeah. of it it was already shifting in that direction yeah. i think the pandemic just kind of turned up the volume a little bit of the have to's yeah i 100 agree with that it just yeah accelerated the pace put more focus on it for sure yeah, which I'm excited about. Kevin, that was a whirlwind of a conversation. I hope everyone enjoyed it as much as I did. Selfishly, first audience of one over here. I loved it. Uh, I always appreciate your passion and the perspective you bring that's always broader than the thing that, you, that you're working on. And I know how passionate you are about IoT. And, and I, there's just something about it. It just feels like the right fit. Like it just, you don't have to, you don't have to back that story up of like, oh, why does that make sense in Alberta? Well, like, well, let's just look at it mm -hmm. <laughs> and how we operate and the amount of uh, the sensors and just, it just feels like there's something about it. I'm not hearing about it as much, but I think I, what, what I've learned today is I'm hearing about its constituent parts. Correct. I'm not always yeah. hearing the word IOT. That's and that's, I didn't, that's a new mindset I'm taking away from this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any, any closing words, uh, my friend? That was uh, fantastic. How does, hey, first of all, how does people get involved? Alberta IoT, search it. It's online. Yeah, you guys yeah, come go, up. Go, like, what's the best Go place? to our website for sure, Alberta I, uh, IoT. We need help uh, on the center of excellence. With each one of those streams I, I called out, we need volunteers to help us there. So please okay, awesome. don't hesitate to reach out. If you become a member, there's monthly membership uh, meetings, et cetera, where we you know talk about innovation and businesses share what they're working on. It's a great thing to be and participate um, there's also a fast track program where we're helping companies. These aren't like brand new startups. You, you have to have a certain amount of revenue, but we're helping you get to that next stage. And I think we're going to have 45 companies through that fast track by the end of summer. Uh, you, you know, you're working with experts and they're, they're helping you kind of build that business to the next level. So by all means, go to the website. Uh, let us know um, if you want to participate in the COE. Uh, incredible things happening over there. And I got to give a shout out to Brenda. Uh, Birkendorf, who you had on the show, she's a, she's an incredible leader over there. She's she is a powerhouse. Uh, so I'm glad you mentioned. It. I was like, we can't have this without mentioning Brenda. Uh, yeah, for sure. I love working for her, and, and she's been a great leader over there. And and she's going to get stuff done, right? And uh, when she she was on board when it was 20 members, I think, or something. Like when I had her, it had already gone from 20 to 100, like yeah. in like months. Like she's a she's a machine. Oh yeah, yeah. all kinds all kinds of time. Absolutely, for her. she's going to get results here. And and there's a great like we said, Wilson's part of this, and there's a great ecosystem of incredible individuals over there we'd love you to come uh, work with us collaborate with us so yeah look us up on the website and uh, reach out 
Awesome. Thank you, my friend. Always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, yeah, I, I, again, to be continued. I see, I see yet another episode in our future. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. All right, brother. Thanks, man. Thank you.